Well, um, since the average life of a worship pastor in a local church is something akin to the lifespan of a goldfish, um, we are greatly blessed to have had Daniel Cresswell for 18 years, and this is going to be a season of much-deserved rest and restoration, so keep him in your prayers, as well as for the guys who will be filling in for him, they'll, they'll have their hands full. So let me share something uh, with you that happened to me yesterday, and I want you to think about what on earth was going on. Um, it's my normal pattern on Saturday afternoons to finish up my remarks for, for Sunday morning. And it usually takes the bulk of the afternoon, give or take. And uh, yesterday, as that was my pattern, and I was doing that. And about halfway through the afternoon, um, I got incredibly fatigued and weary and barely finished my work, grabbed dinner, fell asleep on the couch, and uh, got up and went to bed. Now, I'm old, but I'm not that old. That's not my normal pattern, is to just crash uh, midday like that. So, um, now it just so happens that the passage that I'm teaching today is on spiritual warfare. So what do you think was going on yesterday? Was I just dehydrated from chasing my wife on our morning bike ride? Or was there something else going on? How do you know? Is it important to know? Well, look at Daniel 10 with me. Keep that thought in your back of your mind. Let's look together. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. And uh, I know we've just been prayed for, but I, I feel compelled to just pray for a moment. So let's pray together. Lord, help us now to see what we cannot see in your word that our faith and our faithfulness to you might be strengthened by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so Daniel chapter 1 begins this way. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. So Daniel takes place around the year uh, 586 B.C., for, for frame of reference, mid-6th century, roughly uh, three years, this vision, or this chapter, chapter 10, and the vision it contains, um, took place about three years after the whole Daniel in the lion's den scene, so we're about three years after that. We're about two years after Daniel's great prayer of confession in chapter 9, we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, and... Um, it's about two years also after the nation of Babylon that had taken Israel captive fell to the Persians. So this is kind of where, the setting for where we are. And as a result of that last incident with the Persians taking over, there was a decree made by the Persian king Cyrus that allowed the people of Israel to return to their land, begin to rebuild their city of Jerusalem, and hopefully the temple there as a result. Um, Daniel, we don't really know why, but maybe, maybe his age, uh, he's probably in his 80s now, um, nearing the end of his life in all likelihood, Daniel did not return to Jerusalem. Okay? He stayed in captivity in what is now Persia, and maybe that's why he still used his name from captivity, um, Belteshazzar here. Maybe that's why we see him identified that way. But at this point, Daniel receives a vision. It is a vision of a great war. And we're going to see that vision unfolded in chapters 11 and a bit of 12. 
Um, Chapter 10 is a very long, important introduction to that vision. So pick up with me again in verse 2. Daniel is now speaking. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So Daniel is in earnest prayer, right? He is um, involved in a partial fast um, where he, you know, no lattes, nothing um, this for this season, no delicacies. And he, uh, it reflects the intensity and the sorrow of his prayers. He calls this three-week season of prayer a season of mourning. And I want you to notice, because I'm going to come back to this, and it's of the utmost importance, how long he mourned. Three weeks. Tells us twice that this was a three-week period. Keep that in mind. Now, we're not told exactly what prompted this season of mourning and fasting and prayer. But it might have been related to what was going on to the people who did return to Jerusalem, right? Um, they had just left captivity when the Babylonians fell. They're, it's decreed by Cyrus. You get to go back to your, your holy city and rebuild. They go back. The first ones do. They're not exactly greeted by a parade and balloons. Uh, listen to what the prophet Ezra writes about those who first returned in Ezra 4. The people of the land, the people who were in Israel discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of King Cyrus of Persia, even until the reign of of Darius, king of Persia. And then if you drop down a few more verses, Ezra continues to write, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. The work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of King Cyrus. Darius, king of Persia. So it may have been this sorrowful news that the rebuilding was not going well, or or something like it, that drove Daniel to three weeks of prayer and mourning and fasting. Now, in anticipation of that vision of the great war that happens in chapter 11, Daniel has a powerful vision of a heavenly being here in chapter 10. Look at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his word like the sound of a multitude. Now, we're not straight up told who this being is, but clearly, this is someone supernatural. Um, A lot of scholars say this is an angel. Um, Others will point out that it has remarkable similarity to what the glorified Christ looks like in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 1, Pastor Brian Chappell writes that in both in in Daniel 10 and Revelation chapter 1, There's a vision of a man, and both are clothed in white robes, priestly garb. Both have a gold belt, rather, kingly apparel, and both have blazing eyes. Both have bronze skin. Both have roaring voices. All these supernatural traits are present in both. Um, In addition, Christ always seems to show up in the visions in the book of Daniel. He is in the vision in chapter 2 of the statue. He's the rock that comes, smashes the statue. 
In uh, chapter 7, there's a vision of four beasts, and he is one like a son of man who appears there. In chapter 8, there's a vision of uh, ram and goat, and he, he's the prince of princes um, whom the little horn opposes in that vision. In chapter 9, he's the Messiah who will be cut off and have nothing. So it wouldn't be surprising at all in chapter 10 here that we would see the Christ appearing before the New Testament time, before he comes in the flesh as Jesus uh, in this particular scenario. But whomever this regal being is, right, whether it's the Christ or his messenger, um, just being in his presence about does Daniel in. Look, look at how Daniel responds to this in verse 7. So I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So everybody who was with him um, had experienced a great trembling and fled to hide, and they didn't even see the vision, right? Um, Daniel's strength flees. He says that twice. I had no strength. His appearance changes. He falls on his faith, and he passes out. Um, you know, as we work our way through this passage, we're going to see more references to how devastating it was for Daniel to have this kind of encounter with God and a vision from God and a messenger from God. Um, but this is not how we normally think about encountering God or encountering Jesus, right? We think um, Jesus is more like our BFF, right, who's going to maybe hang with us on the couch while we watch an episode of Friends together, you know. That's Jesus. No, no, this, this is Jesus. This is, this is the risen Christ that we deal with. Um, the impact on Daniel is such that it nearly kills him except for angelic intervention. We're not talking about Santa here. So to just, just sashay into the worship service that is designed for the people of God to meet with God without any soul preparation, without confessing your sin, that may be a gross underestimation of what's going on. And I am always um, helped and provoked by what uh, writer Annie Dillard says about church when we gather. Listen to this. She says, why do people in church seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour of the absolute? Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? Or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews, for the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense, or the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. So encountering God is, is an amazing, overwhelming kind of thing. It goes on. Look at verse 10. Behold, Daniel says, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, 
Understand the words that I speak to you and, understand, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So Daniel is touched by an angel, literally. Nothing to do with the kind of sappy TV show that used to be on, on TV a number of years ago. Right? He is touched by this angel. Probably, so if the first figure was Christ, this is a different being. Uh, an angel in this instance, it would seem. And barely, he's barely able to get back to his hands and knees and then with the angel's help to stand trembling. So to encounter God here is almost more than Daniel can bear. It would have done him in without the angel's help. But in addition to those, the strengthening touch that the angel does for Daniel, the angel speaks words of great encouragement to him and the anchor of that encouragement is simply this Daniel you are greatly loved see nothing banishes fear from our souls like being mindful that we are greatly loved by God this is what John writes about in the New Testament in his in his first letter he says there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So this angelic assurance to Daniel here that he is loved by God casts out Daniel's fear and the angel's touch begins to restore his, a measure of his strength. Verse 12, the angel said to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled himself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. So the angel reassures Daniel that his prayer was heard as soon as he prayed it. On the very first day. God was not taking a coffee break and did not hear. His prayer was heard on the very first day. It's similar to what was said in chapter 9 when Daniel prayed. Where we read, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come um, to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. So this is our beautiful hope, our beautiful, encouraging, hopeful teaching of the scriptures concerning prayer. God hears the prayers of his people. Okay? It's all over the scriptures. Psalm 145 says it beautifully. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves or delivers them. Peter writes about it in the New Testament. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Now, to that broad teaching of God hearing the prayers of his people, um, the angel in Daniel 10 adds the idea of the immediacy of God's hearing. As soon as you pray, God hears. It's, it feels like God is sitting on the edge of his seat waiting for the prayers of his people. Okay. We'll, return, we'll return to this um, in, in a minute. Um, but notice, as soon as Daniel prays, an angelic messenger is dispatched in response to his humble seeking prayer. So we'll, we'll return to that idea in a bit. But hey, be encouraged in prayer. Okay? Um, this is about as technical as I can say it. 
Stuff happens when you pray. Okay? Spiritual stuff happens when you pray, even though you may be unaware of it. Look at verse 13 with me. The angel says, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So he's bringing a vision for the future of God's people. But notice, this, this angelic being, and we'll call him Gabriel just so he has a name. If, if, he's, if he's any angel that we know, this is, this is likely Gabriel. So Gabriel comes um, because Daniel's prayer was heard and he was dispatched on the first day. He was delayed. Did you notice how long he was delayed? 21 days. So the delay of the angel corresponds precisely with the three weeks that Daniel was in prayer. Okay? There's one-to-one correspondence here. And at that point in time, um, when he was dispatched, another supernatural being, given the title the Prince of Persia, likely this is a demonic being because he opposes the angel of God, um, he comes and for three weeks there's a kind of combat or battle that's going on behind the scenes of Daniel's praying. Now, we're going to explore this a bit more because it's a little crazy uh, when you first hear it. Um, but listen to this, this description from theologian Abraham Kuyper. He says, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, we would expose our, to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought on earth would seem by comparison a mere game. Not here, but up there. That is where the real conflict is waged. Our earthly struggle drones in its backlash. So, spiritual stuff happens when you pray. Okay? It really does. It really does. Look at verse 15. When he had spoken to me, Daniel says, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spoke, and I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant, that's Daniel, talk with my Lord, that's Gabriel, for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. And again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. So once again, Daniel's overwhelmed again by this vision, right? He's in pain. He has no strength. He can't breathe. Sounds like an anxiety attack, right? As he, as he encounters this being and its message to him yet again. And for a second and then a third time, the angel touches him and speaks encouraging words to him that start again with that foundational truth. This is the third time it's been told to Daniel by an angelic being, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. The angel blesses him with peace, calls him to strength and courage. And this works. Daniel's strengthened 
and he's ready to hear more. Look at verse 20. Uh, The angel Gabriel said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Probably that's Israel's prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So probably what Gabriel is saying here is that Michael came to fight with me, and in the first year of Darius, I stood up to confirm and strengthen Michael. So these spiritual beings, these angelic beings, are going back and forth in this battle behind the scenes. So this is a pretty remarkable picture of what is transpiring behind the scenes during and as a result of Daniel's three weeks of prayer. I like the way one writer put it. Daniel prayed and angels went to war. Spiritual stuff happens when you pray. So let me summarize what we've seen so far. In verse 11, there's this angelic messenger that has been sent to Daniel from God who shows up. He was dispatched on the first day that Daniel began to pray, according to verse 12, um, in response to Daniel's prayers, it would seem. Verse 13, we find that that messenger, Gabriel, was delayed for three weeks by a demonic being who goes by the title, the Prince of Persia. Um, So it would seem that this being is given, his realm of authority or his realm of responsibility um, is Persia. There's an angelic being, a demonic being, responsible for Persia. And then they mention another one the prince of Greece. Um, The reference to the kings of Persia is probably similar also to demonic beings there. So this reference to the demonic spirits attached to Greece, that doesn't happen for hundreds of years later. So we're getting a glimpse at warfare that's going on in the heavenlies that's unfolding over the course of hundreds of years in all probability. The battles that are playing out on earth, regime change and such, um, are outcomes of spiritual battles, it would seem. Scholar John Golden Gay writes, the purposes of kings and nations are more than merely the decisions of particular human beings. Something in the realm of the spirit lies behind them. I like the way Professor Dale Davis said it. He said, there is what we see on the surface But then there is the whole unseen arena. An invisible war is going on behind the scenes. Now, we have no reason to think that this period of history that's being described here from Persia to Greece, those hundreds of years that there are spiritual battles going on by certain spirits, that that is something unique to that or limited to that time period. There's nothing that would make us think that. it seems it could very well be that this is playing out in our day over the centuries. Um, now, just like it was then. Um, 
In our day, when the nations seem to have gone mad and hostility looms at every turn and in every headline, could it be that there are demonic forces behind what's going on amongst the nations today? I mean, think about what, um, what the uh, leader of North Korea says about our country. Here's a quote from Kim Jong-un. The entire United States is within range of our nuclear weapons. A nuclear button is always on my desk. This is a reality, not a threat. To which our former president responded, yeah, but my button's bigger than yours. Could this be, could this be, is this just, is this just two kind of strong leaders going off at each other? Or is there something going on behind the scenes in international conflict? in the politics of our day. Here's another one um, from Kim Jong-un again of North Korea. And no matter how desperately the U.S. may roar, it is nothing but the roar of a toothless wolf. The incarnation of all sorts of evil, the empire of devils is bound to grow old and go to ruin. This is the law concerning the historical development. Isn't it interesting that the head of North Korea, the leader of North Korea, would perceive at some level that there are devils operating in international politics? He may be more right than he knows. The realm of influence of these spiritual forces does not seem to just be limited to nations in the scriptures, although it's prominent there in Daniel chapter 10. Um, And everybody knows computers have demons, right? Used cars, they have demons. Everybody knows that. Seriously, though, if you look at the first two or second and third chapter of the book of Revelation, every every one of the seven churches that is mentioned there has an angel assigned to it. Could it be that they're assigned to it in response to demonic forces that are active in that realm? Does um, does North Wake? have an angel assigned to us? Quite possibly. And knowing y'all, he's very tired. Okay. Um, and we also know from the gospel accounts that demonic influence extends to the lives of individual folk and plays out in families. This is not merely a national phenomenon, though prominently in Daniel 10 we see that it is. But I'd like to draw your attention back again to the timing indicators, that three-week period, and show you some correspondence that I see there. Um, It says, even though the angel was dispatched on that first day that Daniel prayed, he he resisted for 21 days or three weeks And at the end of those 21 days, Michael, a chief prince, likely an angel associated with Israel, um, just as the demonic prince was attached to Persia, was dispatched and prevailed such that Gabriel was able then to deliver that message to Daniel at the end of the 21 days. Um, So it appears to me that the initiation of Daniel's prayer coincides with the spiritual battle in an initiating kind of way. That is, Daniel's prayer begins the behind-the-scenes action in the heavenlies. The angel is dispatched, and the battle begins because of Daniel's prayer. Now, the ending of Daniel's prayer also coincides with the end of that spiritual battle. 
We're not told why those things coincide. We're simply told that that battle tips towards angel, angelic victory and prevailing because the angel Michael arrives. We don't know if it's because of Michael's arrival that Daniel is able to stop his praying or if it's because of Daniel's praying that the angel Michael arrives. I'm inclined towards the latter. That I think because we also see that the angel Gabriel was dispatched initially because Daniel prayed, I believe that the the angel Michael was also dispatched and prevailed because of Daniel's praying. That Daniel prayed for 21 days and the conflict, conflict lasted 21 days is no coincidence. Okay. John Piper says, warfare in the spirit realm was being fought in a real sense by Daniel in the prayer realm. So again, three significant observations. In response to Daniel's prayers, spiritual messengers are dispatched and spiritual warfare is engaged. Now notice, Daniel did not know that this battle was going on. He had no idea there were demonic forces and angelic forces fighting. He did not know. It was at the end of 21 days that he was tipped to these matters. So this was not likely the focus of his praying. He was mourning and praying and humbling himself before God probably on the behalf of the suffering of his people. That's what had great spiritual power. Now, if you know that there's demonic activity, I can't think of anything better to do than pray about it, but that's not what's going on here. Daniel's regular pattern of praying has great spiritual power. Now, notice Daniel's compelled to pray for the duration of that spiritual warfare all 21 days. And at the conclusion of his praying, the 21 days, the battle is won. A writer named Page puts it this way. He says, in particular, there are malevolent forces in the universe that exercise a baneful influence in the social political realm, especially where the people of God are concerned. Nevertheless, the power of those evil agencies is limited for transcendent powers of goodness oppose them and the faithful prayers of believers are also effective against them. However antagonistic the forces of evil may be towards the will of God, they cannot prevent it from being ultimately accomplished. So let me generalize those three observations to the level of principles for us here. When God's people pray, mysterious and unseen actions are undertaken in the spiritual realm even the dispatch of spiritual, of angelic messengers, simply because you pray. Now there is likely, I wanna focus in on the fact that this was a burden that Daniel felt to pray. Likely there is a correspondence between a burden to pray and a behind the scenes spiritual activity, even warfare that that may well be why you are burdened to pray for certain people and certain things. And lastly, faithfulness in praying through a spiritual burden leads to victory in the spiritual battles being fought. Even though we're often wholly unaware that they're, going, that they're taking place while, while it happens. So we persist in prayer. Mindful that there are spiritual forces of wickedness that war against us and the messengers of God who do his bidding. When God invites you 
to pray for someone or a situation, you have a burden to pray for someone, it is an invitation to step into spiritual warfare on their behalf. And we persist in that prayer because we know that God releases his power in the spiritual realms when we pray in ways that we often cannot see or know. I mean, think about all the ways that the Bible connects prayer and the spiritual realm. I'll give you a handful of examples. Um, In Luke 22, Jesus prays for Peter, and it helps him prevail against Satan. In John 17, Jesus prays for us for protection from the evil one. In the Lord's Prayer, how are we taught to pray? Deliver us from evil. In Ephesians chapter 6, prayer is part of our spiritual armor. In 1 Timothy 2, prayer influences the peace of nations, it says. In Acts 12, an angel comes when the church prays for Peter in prison. And in Acts 16, an earthquake opens during prayer when in Paul's jail cell flies open as a result of prayer. Colossians 4, we know that prayer opens the door to the gospel in people's lives. And in 2 Thessalonians 3, we know that prayer aids the spreading of the gospel and protects us from wicked men. That's just like the tip of the iceberg of places in Scripture that associate prayer with influence in the spiritual realm. Um, Spiritual stuff happens when you pray. You should pray. Now, in light of all this, what do you make of my weariness, my unexpected weariness mid-afternoon yesterday as I prepared this message? I've got some hunches, but I don't know. What I do know is an invitation for prayer. So I have a little band of people who pray for me every Saturday night. I sent them a note and told them to pray. I told my wife to pray, and, uh, and here I am, right? Alive and mostly in my right mind, so... What promptings are you having to pray? People, issues, the church, what do you find yourself returning to, being prompted over and over to pray? And in light of what we just saw, will you commit to to be faithful in praying about that until you are released from it? be steadfast in praying. Three weeks, three years, three decades. If you're like me, you have friends who don't know Jesus that you love and you pray every day for them and it's, it's decades, right? Now some of you are sitting here this morning and you're scratching your head and you're thinking, I don't, I don't think I have any prayer burdens. Well, let me just say this morning, when you have them, would you commit to obey them and honor them and be steadfast in them? And secondly, are you in the word in such a way that you get them? Because even in Daniel's case, that prompting back in chapter 9 to pray that great prayer of confession, it came from reading the prophet Jeremiah. It's in our Bibles. God most often gives us burdens to pray in conjunction with the reading of his word. 
Are you in the word every day in such a way that you hear from God? So, spiritual stuff happens when we pray. So let us pray. Bow with me, please. Lord, hear us now as we pray as you taught us. So if you'll join me, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into evil, but deliver us from temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen.